check, check.
service. There will be an important meeting to give updates to our Firewheel family. There will not be childcare for this event, so all of our attendees can come. Parents plan to bring some snacks and coloring pages for the little ones. Sunday, June 18th, will be a parent-child dedication. If you would like to take part, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com by June 11th. Name and picture due by June 13th. You can be a part of beginning to create a VBS Wonderland for the kids. No specific skill set is needed, just a willingness to help. This is also a great community building opportunity where laughs are had and memories are made. Our first VBS prep night is June 7th. For more information, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. Today, immediately following the service in the youth room will be a meeting for all campers and their parents covering camp information followed by an informational meeting for youth ministry. Youth leaders and elders will host the youth meeting. Please have an adult attend these meetings with the child or student. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events, or you'll find us on social media. Good morning, Firewheel. How are you today? Good. So we got acoustic this morning. So what does that mean? You guys get to sing louder than we do. So we're excited about that. All right. Dead, where is your sea? The power is as dead as mine. 
sound great. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Chris Nelson. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. This is what we do. Uh, we worship God. Um, we do that because we want to give him the reverence he deserves. Because um, that's why we're here. We're here to worship God. And so uh, thank you for being here this morning. So let me pray for us. <sighs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, man, just for who you are. Thank you for 
Man, just the blessings you bless upon us daily. Even when we don't see them, you're still blessing us. Um, God, we ask that uh, we can worship you in spirit and truth this morning. That uh, we, can, we can come to a room and, and worship you and just let everything go. Then just make it all about you. We're not thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch. We're, we're not thinking about uh, what we're going to do this week or how I'm going to enjoy the rest of our three-day weekend. But it's just about you. Help us to have that heart this morning. It's all about you. So, uh, God, we love you. We just thank you for who you are and what you do on the cross. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So go tell about three or four people that they're loved.
Oh, 
So if, for those of y'all that don't know me, my name's Steven. I have the privilege of teaching the youth, and sometimes, every once in a while, the children, um, about the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I'm on crutches. I'm not usually on crutches, but I won a potato sack race. The cost, my ACL, it's fine. Um, so this weekend is a long weekend, a three-day three, three day weekend. And a lot of people, you know, we associate Memorial Day with pools opening. We associate it with school ending. But the truth is Memorial Day is a celebration of the sacrifice that soldiers, they went over and they died for our freedom. Similarly, Galatians 5.1 tells us that it is for the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let ourselves be burned again by the yoke of slavery, right? Jesus died on the cross to give us freedom. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ saved us from the bondage of sin and death so that we may go to walk in newness of life. Jesus also died, right, because of the love, the great love. Romans 5.8 tells us, it says, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Our freedom was purchased with a price, and that price was the death of Jesus Christ. And then uh, we, we tell a little, we learn a little bit about communion, right, and this remembrance, right? Memorial Day, we remember the veterans that fell. Likewise, communion, we remember Jesus Christ who died. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and, we, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? It's a remembrance. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave. He gave his all, right, so that we could walk in newness of life, no longer in the bondage of sin and death. So this little, these little, uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the sides, right, you'll see six tables, and on the six tables you'll see pieces of bread, these little crackers representing his body. You'll see these little cups of juice, wine, separate, resembling his blood, right? The blood that was freely shed for their forgiveness of sin. All right, now we're going to go to the Father in prayer. Jesus, thank you for this day and all that we do, and we gather at the foot of the cross in remembrance of the sacrifice you gave. You gave your all because of love for us, so that you could see us become new creations, so that we can walk in newness of life and give glory to you in all that we do. These little cups of, of juice symbolize your blood freely given, and the little cups of the little pieces of cracker represent your body broken and for our inequity. So when we consume, we remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Go ahead and go grab the elements.
forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Here we go, church. Love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I You were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. my king would die for me amazing love I know it's true and it's my joy to honor you amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. the best part. You are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you
amazing love I know it's true and it's my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you in all I do I honor you one more time thank you this morning that you are our king and that we can rely on you. God, just be with us this morning. Uh, be with Adrian as he speaks um, and just give us the ears to listen. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Ben, can I have that? Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, Firewell family. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing well? So before we actually get into today's sermon, uh, today's a special day. We are celebrating with a couple of our high school graduates and as they go on to their next season of life, so we want to celebrate with them. So if I can get the Alexes to come up with their family. So Alex Payne and Alex Paxton, y'all come up too with the family. Come on up, y'all come up. All right, let's give these guys a hand. Very cool. I love looking at these pictures. That's great. Greatness. This is one of the last times your parents will get to embarrass you with kid pictures. Look at that. So very cool. So uh, it's always great as a pastor to see people as they transition in seasons of life. It's very, you know, exciting for them and exciting of these young men to become young, uh, you know, going to college. And it's really exciting. We want to celebrate with them and acknowledge them today. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about what you are, your plans after high school now that you graduated. Yeah, so I'm going to go to UTD, and the plan is mechanical engineering, and see what happens after that. I'm not uh, sure. All right, excellent, excellent. Very cool. That was my field of study before God called me into ministry. So there you go, mechanical <laughs> engineering. All right. Alex, what about you? Uh, I plan to go to UT for sustainability studies. I'm probably going to switch to environmental science, though. But okay. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Hi, Kelly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is great. Thank you, guys. So we wanted just to take an opportunity as the Firewell family just to tell you how much we love you guys and how proud of we, that we are of you and just take an opportunity to pray for you guys and pray for your family as you go into this next journey and season of life and just to be able to present you with a little gift. So let me pray for you all, okay? So, Lord, I thank you for these young men. I just thank you for their lives and just, Lord, how you have brought them and how a blessing they are to our Firewell family. We just pray, Lord, as they enter into this next season of life, that you will continue to give them wisdom, that you would direct them, that you would guide their steps, Lord. Surround them with good company and good friends. I pray that you will allow them to be diligent in their studies, to be able to uh, pursue what you have called them to do. I pray that you will keep them safe, uh, that you will protect their minds and their hearts, Lord, and that you'll just uh, surround them with the love and support of their family, their church family, and their friends, Lord, as they uh, venture into this next and exciting season of life, Lord. We thank you for the time that we have spent with them, and we, Lord, we look forward for the expectancy of what is to come for them, and we celebrate that with them. So, Lord, we pray your blessing upon them, your grace and mercy, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Let me give you all this little gift from us. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you all. Let's give him a hand. All right. Today's show and tell, so I got props. All right. You'll see why this is important later, okay? Okay, well, let's jump back into the book of James, everybody. Ooh. All right. We're going uh, to jump back into the book of James this morning. So, Steve, it looks like the spotlight is shining on some folks. If y'all can just thank you. All right, appreciate it. Okay. So as we jump back into the book of James today, we're going to find ourselves back in chapter 1. We're going to actually finish out chapter 1 today. So if you want to pull up your Bible, your, anal your analog Bible, your digital device, whatever it may be, or follow along on the screen, we're going to find ourselves back in chapter 1. And we're going to finish out essentially chapter 1 today. So last week, just as a way of review, like we always do, we're two weeks into this series, which will probably be at least nine or ten weeks as we venture through kind of the book of James. Last week we talked about wisdom. And we talked about our need for wisdom. How many of y'all need wisdom, right? We all need wisdom, right? So we need wisdom to make wise decisions as we go about this life. And we hope to honor God with our decisions and the things in which we do. So we talked about wisdom in three regards as James encouraged us. Number one, we talked about our request for wisdom. It says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So God is the source of wisdom. He is the source of all knowledge. We, I would venture to say, and I hope that you would too, that he knows a little bit better than you and I. And so we should go to him as the source whenever we need wisdom. So James encourages us, whenever you lack it, ask for it and go to God. And then we talked about the riches of God's wisdom as he freely dispenses it. He says he gives it freely when we ask of it. And then we also talked about the right attitude and way in which we ask for wisdom, which we have to ask by faith. Because we don't want to be double-minded, as he said, but we ask in faith and we receive accordingly once we ask appropriately. So what exactly is wisdom? Just as a way of reminder. Wisdom is the capacity to understand and function accordingly. So wisdom has to do with what we know, but it also has directly to do with what we do. You can't separate the two things. Wisdom is kind of the practical application of the Christian walk. It really is the day-to-day -day operation of what it means to walk in faith, is to really walk in wisdom. And our one truth statement was this. God gives wisdom to those who ask and believe in faith. So God gives wisdom to those who ask and believe in faith. And I hope that after last week that it was encouraging to you and hopefully it becomes part of your routine where you ask God and involve him in your decision making where it isn't something where you go to him just in crisis. But that you are going to him constantly asking him for wisdom that you may receive it from him. So today, we're going to turn our attention to a theme in the book of James that's going to come up in a couple different ways, but we're going to talk about the relationship between hearing God's word and doing God's word. Let me say that again. From hearing God's word and doing God's word. This is also going to come up again in chapter 2. It's going to be a huge emphasis when uh, James talks about faith and works and the relationship between those two items, but we're going to talk a little bit about hearing and doing in relationship to God's word. Now, have any of you ever had the opportunity to audit a class before? Anybody ever audit a class, right? So if you think about auditing a class, 
you sign up for the course, maybe there is a little fee that is involved. But when you sign up for the course, there's no expectation that you actually have to do anything with that which you learned. Way back when, when I did my THM, for my internship at DTS, I taught at something called Lay Institute. Now, Lay Institute, I developed a syllabus, I had course outlines, I had all this stuff, and I'm teaching these courses to people who would come after the just lay people in the church would come, and I was teaching them about the doctrine of salvation. I called it God's Amazing Grace. That's what was the name of my class. They came during night every single week, and I taught them, and we had PowerPoints, we did the whole shebang, we were in a classroom, I just felt like I was loving it. However, all I could do was recommend them to do things. I couldn't ask them to do homework. I couldn't tell them to read the book, even though I constantly referred to the book. There was nothing I could do. Essentially, it was the glorified auditing of a class. I enjoyed it. They learned. We had great conversations. But then sometimes when I alluded to the book, I realized very quickly, these people don't have to read it, so they ain't reading it. <laughs> okay? So I quickly learned to adapt on the fly then at that point because there was no expectation. And, it was, and I couldn't have the expectation because it was very clear by the internship office that, hey, you teach in these classes, but you can't make them do homework. So I, it was very clearly laid out to me initially. But if you think about it, when you audit a course, you listen, but you don't do. That's what you do. You listen, but you don't do. There's no expectation that you'll do anything with the information you receive. You may like the way that the person presents or talks, or you may like the topic and say, man, that's some great information, but there's no expectation that you are going to do anything with what you hear because there is no mechanism to account for accountability that you're learning the material, that you're doing anything with it. There, so if you think about it this way, let's bring it to us now. There are many people who audit the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. There are many people that go to the Bible for information. There are many people that go to church on Sunday and listen to a person expound the Word of God. There are many people that even go to Bible studies or they go to small groups and all this stuff. They listen to a lot of information, but they never do anything with it. And because they never do anything with it, they wonder why their lives are not changed. And God is saying, you're missing the point. I'm not just giving this to you so that you know. I'm giving this to you so you can live. The relationship between those two things cannot be separated. We cannot audit the Bible. The Bible is not written for you just to get information. The Bible is written for your transformation. The Bible is a living word from a living God. And as it is from a living God, that living God intends for it to do something to you. It's not a shortcoming on the word, it's a shortcoming on our behalf. What we do is we often listen, but we don't do. And James is going to revisit this over and over, and he's going to warn us today, three different warnings about this particular topic. And if I could say it this way, my one true statement for you today is that there is no benefit to hearing God's word and not acting on it. There's no benefit to hearing God's word and not acting on it. Because it's not for the purposes of information. So we can hear God's word, but we have to be hearers, as he's going to say, and doers of God's word. Both of those things are intricately linked together. 
So as I said, we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 1. We're jumping down to verse 19. I'll tell you why we're doing that in just a moment. But we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. And we're going to see three warnings from James in this passage that we need to take account of. And the reason why we're jumping several verses is because last week we ended in verse 8. It's not because we are just ignoring these verses. As a matter of fact, I'm going to set the context for you. But James often... Re brings up or elaborates on something that he already, recently, he already previously talked about. If you read verses 9 basically to where our section begins, he's going to talk about trials again, which Kevin covered in week 1. Okay, Kevin talked about the role of trials and suffering, and he covered that in week 1. So he revisits that topic, but he does add one little element that I want to bring to your attention. If you look at verse 13, jump up to verse 13. It says this, let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This is a really important passage, by the way. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Very interesting imagery that James is using. But what here's the theological point that's really important that he is making. You and I can never say that God is the one who is tempting us. When we are facing temptation, when we are desiring to sin, we can never say it's God's problem, it's God's fault that somehow he's the one who's tempting me. When in God there is no sin. So since there is no sin, he's not the author of sin, he can't be the one to entice you to supposedly make you sin. So we can't say that. Theologically, this is a principle that we have to ground ourselves in. There is no way you can read the scripture and say that God is the source of your temptation. The source of your temptation is your flesh and the enemy. That's the source of your temptation. Your own flesh, our own sinful desires, as he calls them, or the enemy, but never is it God. So we can never say that God is the one who is tempting us. It's really important. Now jump down to verse 19. Here's the first warning that James is going to give to us. The first warning, I'm calling it this. It's pretending instead of hearing. Look at verse 19. So know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Very interesting statement. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, here's a basic communication lesson. Uh, Jen and I have done a lot of different marriage counseling and various other different things with marriage and conferences and stuff, and we talk a lot about communication. So here's a basic principle about communication that's just totally going to blow your mind. You ready? You're going to ready to tweet this? Okay, this is going to blow your mind right here. Communication involves two parts, two parts, the sending and receiving of a message. Just blew your mind, right? <laughs> Communication involves two parts, but this is serious. I'm, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but this is serious, and this will be important. Communication involves two parts. It's the sending of a message, but it's also the receiving of that message. So a message could be sent, and you're going to see where I'm getting at. A message could be sent but not received. It cannot be not received because on purpose. Or it cannot be received because of the way it was communicated. There's lots of different ways in which it cannot be received. Communication has not happened until the sending of the message is received and understanding takes place on what was received. Okay? That's when good communication happens. That has to happen. 
It's kind of like me going up to somebody who speaks a foreign language and me trying to talk with them. I'm sending a message. I'm saying words. I'm trying to do things. I'm making signs. I'm talking with my body. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm trying to point to signs, doing whatever I could do to try to communicate. That person may verbally, audibly open their mouth and sounds come out as well, but there's no understanding that's taking pl place right there. There's sending. There's receiving. There's some level of communication going on, but understanding hasn't taken place. I have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what I'm saying until somebody interprets the message to bring understanding. So let me illustrate this for you for a moment. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you've asked them the question, are you even listening to me? You ever had that conversation, right? Now some of y'all spouses are right now tapping your husband or significant other, just saying, you know, hey, he's talking to you right now. He's probably talking to you too. That's okay. So we've all had this conversation where we've been in this place before and we're saying, are you even listening to me? What we're really asking is we're not asking, are your ears working? We're not asking that. What am I asking when I'm saying, are you really listening to me? What I'm really asking is, are you understanding and are you involved in this conversation? That's the underlying ask of that. Are you engaged? Are you, are you attentive to what is going on? Are we communicating right now? I'm not saying, are your ears actually working? This could be a great source of conflict at times. Now, I will tell you that I have the ability to retain a lot of information at times. So sometimes our conversations in the peanut household go like this. Jen will be saying something, I will be in a room next to her or whatever, and she's talking, and she will literally say to me, are you listening to me? And I can recite every word that she said right back to her. Now, here's the question. Am I really listening and engaged in the conversation? If I'm being honest, absolutely not. I'll always be real with y'all, okay? We're, we're bringing real talk to Firewheel this morning. But even though I can recite back what has been said, doesn't mean that the heart of communication is actually taking place. It doesn't mean that I'm actively listening. Am I listening just as it means? We do this sometimes. In interpersonal relationships, we sometimes listen just to get to the next answer, or we listen to shut the person up. Some of y'all, that was an uncomfortable laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are listening just so you can make the next statement because you're ready for this thing to be done. Instead of, and what you're really doing is you're not listening at all. You're listening to respond instead of listening to understand. And you're not listening to show respect to the other individual. Here's my point. James says this. Be quick to hear. He's encouraging people to be eager and attentive listeners. So many times, especially in this world where we are so easily distracted, we stink at listening. Genuinely, we do. Interpersonally, a lot of times, it makes us feel uncomfortable. We, we have a problem listening to each other. Isn't it something beautiful when you just sit down with your wife or your husband? Isn't it really beautiful when you sit down with that friend and they just sit there? There's no agenda, no rush, and you're just listening to each other. Isn't that beautiful and dynamic when that happens? When you can actually share your heart with another person, you know that they're listening. You know that they're not, you know, pulling out their cell phone and texting on their cell phone. Or they're not just looking around, but they're actually looking at you. 
and they're listening to you, you're being heard, you're being honored in that way, and they hear you, James is saying, be quick to hear. And then he says, be slow to speak. It's a call to silence. And the reason why it's a call to silence is because sometimes we have not fully understood the message or we need to understand the message in order to apply it. Sometimes we have, we talk before we listen. Sometimes we talk before we think. And he's saying, be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. It's a call to self-control because we cannot hear God and act upon God's word with angry and bitter feelings. Look at verse 20. If you go back to verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It is such a cool verse. This explains why we should be slow to anger. James's basic point is you can't make somebody or be mad enough at somebody to get them to do the right thing. You, because of your righteous anger, what you deem to be righteous anger, are not going to change the actions of another individual. No matter how much you love them, no matter how much you care for them, you can't anger them into the kingdom. But I will tell you this, your anger can repulse them from the kingdom. It could have the opposite effect. Anger does not produce righteousness in that way in another individual. James is saying you're not going to do that. That's fruitless for you to try to do that. For you to be angry at somebody, it doesn't mean that we don't get angry. He's not saying that. But he's saying if you think that you project your anger on another individual to change them and somehow produce righteousness, right standing with God, right action, or right motivation, you're not going to do that. We don't have the power to do that. When is the last time you saw an angry person acting in ways that are pleasing to God? Anybody want to raise their hand? We don't see angry people that are by nature just angry, acting in ways that are pleasing to God. The next verse, James tells us to put it off so we can rid ourselves of it. The idea of removing clothes, to put it off. All sin, and he contrasts this with what we should do. He says, receive God's word with meekness, with humility. Insert the word humility. Receive it in that way. Just like I can pre be pretending to listen to my wife even though I can recall her words, Christians can pretend that we are obedient to God without really hearing him. But we can sure do a good job of pretending. The question becomes, does God's word produce in me a new kind of thought or behavior or does it just sound good? Let me say that again. Does God's word produce in me a new kind of thought or behavior Something that underlines to my actions, or does it just sound good? Because there's no benefit to hearing God's word and not acting on it. Look at the second thing he's going to warn us of. Jump down to verse 22. The second thing he's going to talk about is that we are deceived. We can be deceived instead of acting. Verse 22. But be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Next verse. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. It's a very sober warning from James. If a believer hears but does not do, then he says they are walking in deception. 
Wow, that's like hardcore. There is no such thing for you and I as passively hearing God's word and not acting upon it to follow it with a genuine heart and to be changed by it. I would venture to say that if James was sitting here today, that he would say that a person who hears the word of God and lives a life that is significantly different from what they say they believe have truly not responded to the gospel. I believe he would say that. I believe the rest of the New Testament fleshes that out as well. You cannot be a Christian by merely believing the right things. Please hear me. This is really important. I think that this is a tragedy sometimes of the West. We've disconnected what we think is the content of the gospel from the actual living out of the gospel. And I think throughout church history, I think throughout the New Testament, you can't separate those two things. Being a Christian is not just about what you believe. It's not about this checklist of theological statements that you adhere to. It's not about this checklist of certain beliefs that you actually have. You can't just believe. Believing the right things about Jesus is one step and one part of the equation, but we truly only receive God and we live for him when we are looking more like Jesus. When we are looking more like Jesus, we call that process sanctification, if you want to sound smart to your friends. It's just a big long word that basically means that every day that I'm dying more to sin and I'm looking a little bit more like Christ, that I'm still not being, per that I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. That this day, every day is a daily process where I'm growing to hopefully look more and more like Jesus. James uses two illustrations to make his point, one positive and one negative. First, there's a person who hears but does not do, and he says it's like a person looking in a mirror. Thus, show and tell today. So, every day you look in the, you look in a mirror, likely. Especially if you are a female, you probably look in a mirror more often than guys look in a mirror, right? But you look in a mirror, and you look in a mirror for multiple different reasons. So you look in a mirror every single day because maybe you need to as you're flossing your teeth, you're putting on your cosmetics, you're doing your hair, you're doing all those different things, you're looking at a mirror. Now if you think about a mirror, for example, a mirror, what it does is it exposes that which is reality. That's the job of a mirror. The job of a mirror is to show you exactly what is present. It is agnostic in a way. It, it's not telling you something that's beneficial or something that's harmful. It's just telling you what is. So you look at a mirror, and if you have food on your face, it's going to show you you got food on your face. If you got something in your teeth, it's going to reveal to you that you got something in your teeth. But if your hair's all messed up and you want to make it look nice, then you're trying to work it, you're doing that, you're looking in the mirror, all of a sudden your hair comes out the way that you want to look at it. The mirror affirms the fact that a change is taking place. You're seeing reality as it happens. As a matter of fact, this morning, I actually had almost a disaster averted. Coffee spilt on me while I was in the office this morning, and you wouldn't be able to tell on my shirt, but the reason why I found that out as I was drinking coffee is because I looked in the mirror. <laughs> I went to the restroom, I washed my hands, and I looked at them like, oh, snap, I got stuff on my shirt. The mirror exposed to me that which was there. It does its job in that way. It just shows me reality. Now, it's one thing, imagine you look inside of a mirror and you see that you have something on your face or something in your teeth or whatever. You decide to ignore the reality of the mirror. 
So you go out about your business, and you go out today, and you got something on your face, or you got something in your teeth, or whatever the case may be, or your hair was, you got bad head, whatever that case, and you walk out, the reality of what you saw, you have not responded to. Now, we're having a little fun and games, but this is important. If you've been exposed to God's word and to the truth, it's like a mirror in that way. It's showing you what is reality. Now, if you leave that, just like you leave your mirror in front of it on a day-to-day -day basis, and you do not act upon that which you have seen, you have missed the point. We act upon what we see. If you think about it in the spiritual realm, we do the same thing a mirror does. We come on a Sunday morning, we get a quick glance into God's word. We see God's word. So we look at it. We're in it. We're in our Sunday morning Bible study. We're preaching, the, you know, you're following along in the text with me. You may even be taking notes. So we look at it. So we're looking at the word. We're in it. We're being exposed to it. We're doing that kind of thing. We find morsels of truth. We do all that stuff. And then when we leave this place, we could jump right away and forgot everything that we just saw. Because on a day-to-day -day basis, we walk away from that mirror and that we don't respond or we don't look back at it. Because we think if we don't look at it, we won't be accountable to it. We think because if we don't look at it, then it won't expose the things to me that I don't really want to see about myself that need to change. Because in this equation, nobody changes but you. God doesn't change, but you change. You change as we're exposed to God's word, as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, as we start growing in Christ. We are the ones called to change. He does it. He's unchangeable. But as he's exposing stuff in us, we don't like what we see. So since we don't like what we see, we just think if I don't have to look, then I don't have to pay attention. It exposes us. Truth demands a response. Anytime we're confronted with the reality of God's word, every time we're confronted with truth, we are demanded to respond. We'll either ignore it, we'll dismiss it, or we'll respond positively to it. Those are really the only three options. We'll ignore, we'll dismiss, or we'll respond. And James is encouraging us that, like a mirror, what you see, and you walk away from it, he said, respond to what you see. The positive illustration is the person who looks into the perfect law, he says. This person who gazes into God's word with a desire to learn and to act upon, they are to, they preserve, they, they are the ones that are staying there, they're the ones that are just engaged in God's word, and they're acting upon it. And he says that those people, those ones, are the ones that will be blessed in their doing. So they're the ones who are blessed. You can only be blessed by God if you are a doer, not just a hearer. It's the only way. Because remember, there's no benefit to hearing God's word and not acting on it. Look at the last warning, which I think is the most sobering one. Look at verse 26. He's going to talk about false religion instead of having a pure devotion. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart... This person's religion is worthless. He uses some strong language, man. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Is that actually a full-pledged definition of what it means to have pure and undefiled religion, so to speak, before God? No, I think he's giving you an example that represents the whole. But he's saying that this is one ways that you can know. So these verses speak about how a person can act upon God's word and all links back to receiving of God's word that he talked about in verse 21. But look at what he says. He says, if you think you are religious but you cannot control your tongue, your religion is worthless. Now it makes me think about where we are told in the Gospels where it says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And I think that he's kind of alluding to something like that. He's alluding to the reality that what comes out of our mouth first has been transposed and lived out and acted upon in our hearts. So our mouth tells us a lot about what's really going on on the inside. James is going to get into this man in chapter 3 when he talks about the power of the tongue. He talks about this little thing has the ability to like control a ship like a rudder, and he says he has the ability to burn down a forest. He's going to say that this thing that is in your mouth has the ability to build up or to tear down. It has that much destructive ability. Why? Because it shows and exposes the intent of our hearts. You can't get away from your words. You know how many times I've been in conversations with people and they say something and they're like, oh, I'm sorry for saying that, and then I realized that really showed the intent of their heart. We can't get away from that reality. And I like it, he likens this to, a, uh, to the brittle that's inside of a horse's mouth that directs it and guides it. We can be controlled by our tongues. And James is saying that if you are being controlled by your tongue and all that is spewing out of your mouth is something that is not helpful, then what I think he's trying to tell us is that's not pure devotion before God. It's a sobering reality. But I love that he doesn't just connect it to things that we say, but he connects it to things that we do. Religion in this context, by the way, just simply means devotion to God. So what is pure in that way, what is desired is a life of obedience that really sets the stage for the rest of the groundwork he's going to lay out for the book. But if you are a believer, to have pure religion, so to speak, to have devotion to God is expressed in some of these things. We use the word religion now in a negative context. Usually when we say, oh, someone's religious, is we're using that almost as a derogatory term toward them. We're saying that, you know, we're associating that with somebody who may go to, in our current context, somebody who goes to church or somebody we may consider holier than thou or whatever the case may be. And it's usually used in a negative way. But in this way, he's just using it specifically to mean devotion to God. But I love the fact that James never separates the action that comes and flows out of somebody who's a believer. Because he says that if we have this pure and undefiled religion, we'll visit widows and orphans in their affliction and keep oneself unsane from the world. Many people could talk a really good religious game. The Pharisees did that, by the way. But their heart and their actions were not motivated toward a heart truly devoted to God. And they certainly in many ways didn't have concerns for helping others. They cursed Jesus when he would heal on the Sabbath as opposed to somebody actually physically being healed and they're worried about the letter of the law. Think about these last two themes, concern for the helpless, that is loving and serving others, and keeping oneself unstained from the world, that is really loving God and keeping oneself pure. 
I love this because so many times we make the disconnect between that which is what we believe to be true and the way that it fleshes itself out. And Jesus, and James is telling us here, and we see this so emblematic in the life of Jesus. I've always said it this way, Jesus met both the physical and spiritual needs of people. You can't read the Gospels and not see a Savior whose heart was moved compa to compassion and action toward people. And the reason why is it was motivated by his love. The Gospel isn't just a series of truths that I affirm. It's not just that Jesus came to this earth, died upon a cross, was buried and rose again. And on the third day, as he rose, and now he ascended into heaven, and that if I place my faith and trust in him, that I will be saved. That is one element of the gospel. But the gospel really is Jesus. And it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It encompasses his life as well. His followers are consistently called to, to live a life that is reflective of their Savior. So the gospel is as much about the way Jesus lived as what Jesus did. Please hear me when I say that. It's as much about what Jesus did and the way he lived. Both of those things, non-separated from the two. If you think about it, this is really practice points for you right here. The theme applications. Number one, control your tongue. Serving others, widows and orphans. And keeping your heart pure, unstained from the world. Now, he's not saying disconnect from the world. Even if we look to Jesus, he was called a friend of sinners. He had dinner with people who were not believers. He's not talking to keep yourself disconnected from the world. But he's saying, do not let the world become something that influences you where you look a little bit more like them and less like him. Jesus is looking for people who are purely devoted to him, and it is evident in both their speech and their action. Let's summarize this for you. So our one true statement was this. There is no benefit to hearing God's word and not acting upon it. James gave you three basic warnings. We can pretend and deceive ourselves instead of truly hearing what God is trying to say. We can be led into deception instead of acting upon. We can be hearers only and not doers. We can walk in false religion instead of pure devotion. So I leave you today with this before we pray. Just one simple question. I say simple, simple in its statement, not in its thinking about it. Are you a hearer or are you a doer? Are you a hearer of the word or a doer? If you're a doer, then that implies that you have not only listened, but you apply what you hear, that the, that the word of God is not something that you just listen to or come to for information, but that you are being transformed by it. But if you're a hearer only, why has God's word not moved you to action? James is warning people who would identify themselves as believers because he's talking about brothers. Consistently in this passage, he's talking about people who identify themselves as followers. And he's encouraging them not to just be hearers only. Information only gets you so far. But we are called to be not only hearers, but doers of the word. And my hope is that I would hope that you would be and say, Pastor, I don't want to be a hearer only. I want to be a doer of the word. I want to live the totality of what it means to live the Christian life. Faith and works working in tandem together.
devotion and application, hearing and doing. All these things that will consistently come up in the book of James as he consistently reminds us of something that is so deeply important. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and our light unto our path. We thank you that you are the way, that you are the truth, you are the life. And your word acts as a way to, like a mirror, reflecting back at to us the reality of what we may see. And sometimes we don't like what we see, and so sometimes we may run and we ignore it as opposed to dealing with the reality. But Lord, I pray that all my brothers and sisters here today would be not only just hearers, but doers of your word. Because Lord, that's what you called us to do. And it shows us that we truly are committed Christ followers when we hear and then we are moved to action because your word is transformative. Allow it to take root into our hearts and to transform us from the inside out. To uproot everything that may be wicked or not good in us and Lord, may we be so bold to respond and allow you to do the deep work that you need to do. Thank you for the encouragement of your word today. And I pray, even as it has challenged us, may we grow. And may we look a little bit more like you every single day. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we could pray. Amen. We're going to take the opportunity to worship and to pray and respond to what God has spoken today. So I want to ask you to stand to worship with us. But I want to ask the prayer team to come forward as well. If there's anything specific that we can pray with you for, please give us an opportunity to do that. We'd love to pray with you. And we're going to take an opportunity to worship because we're going to respond. Worship is the proper response to God's word. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to respond to what God has spoken. So let's pray. Let's worship. Help me know you 
draw me close to you Never let me go Nothing else can take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find a way And bring me back to you Oh, 
the promise I have in you. Majesty, Majesty, Your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed but alive in Your hands. through giving. Every Sunday we have an opportunity to worship in that way as well, to be able to give a small portion back of what God has so graciously given to us as a means of expression of worship. Uh, if it's your first time here at Firewheel, we're really glad that you are here. We'd love to be able to uh, shake your hand, give you a hug, and just tell you some information about Firewheel or see how we can come alongside of you and serve you and your family. So as you exit the auditorium today, there's a connection center up at the front. Please visit the Connection Center. We have a special gift, no strings attached, uh, just for, as a way of worshiping with us today and just want to say, have one of our guest services attendants say hi to you and just want you to know that you are loved and we're grateful that you are here today. So ushers, if you can come forward, we'll go ahead and receive the morning offering. We'll pray over that, show you a few announcements and get you dismissed. Lord, we are thankful that you are the gracious giver, the giver of life, the giver of all things. You give us uh, income in this world as a way to be able to support ourselves, but you also use that to be able to support the work of the kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, that you would cause this offering to multiply and continue to allow us to be faithful stewards of it and to use it well to be able to minister to this community that you have placed us in. May you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. Welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Sunday, June 25th, immediately following the service, there will be an important meeting to give updates to our Firewheel family. There will not be childcare for this event, so all of our attendees can come. Parents plan to bring some snacks and coloring pages for the little ones. Sunday, June 18th, will be a parent-child dedication. If you would like to take part Contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com by June 11th. Name and picture due by June 13th. You can be a part of beginning to create a VBS Wonderland for the kids. No specific skill set is needed, just a willingness to help. This is also a great community building opportunity where laughs are had and memories are made. Our first VBS prep night is June 7th. For more information, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. Today, immediately following the service in the youth room, will be a meeting for all campers and their parents, covering camp information, followed by an informational meeting for youth ministry. 
Youth leaders and elders will host the youth meeting. Please have an adult attend these meetings with the child or student. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewall, check us out at firewallfellowship.com events, or you'll find us on social media. All right, get you to stand. We'll go ahead and pray our benediction, get you dismissed. Again, uh, youth and camp meeting is taking place immediately afterward. So we'll start probably at no later than 1230 in the youth building. So parents, if you can join us for that. Next week, we are going to talk about favoritism and discrimination. James, James talks about some tough stuff, so if you want to read ahead, start reading chapter 2, and you'll see the beginning part of chapter 2, and I'm uh, really excited to get into the study next week. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We love you all so much. You are dismissed. Hey, what's up?